10, I, I think this is one of the most important chapters in any of the Gospels, in my opinion. I think this explains who the church is supposed to be and what we're supposed to be about, what it means to be a Christian, and all those good things. Um, this first section um, is a little weird. I mean, he's, he's got some weird things in here. It's a little different. But this explains how we're supposed to evangelize and how we're supposed to disciple people and what all that means and what that's about. Um, we're going to just go through it verse by verse. But before that... Um, well, let's just, let's just jump into it. Verse 1. Okay. So at this time, the Lord appointed 72 others. Some versions say 70. Um, so who were these people? Do you know? These 72 people? What do you think? This is going to be an interactive time, by the way. So feel free to, to, to respond. Jesus is posse. Jesus is posse. Yes. Yeah. That's actually a pretty good description. Um, these guys were disciples, not the disciples, like with a capital D. Okay, Jesus had a lot more than 12 in his posse, right? And he had a lot more than men in his posse. There were a lot of women in his posse. They're the ones who financed it, as we learn in other places in the gospel. And so, which is interesting, right? And so, yeah, the women supported the ministry, it says. A couple of them came from wealthy households and... Um, they were, their husbands were willing to let them go and be a part of the posse and spend all their money on the ministry of Jesus, which is very interesting to me. I assume they were followers of Jesus too, but it doesn't say that. We don't know much else about it. Um, and so these 72 are, they are believers. They are part of the crew, part of the church, but they're not the leaders. Okay. Jesus sent out the 12 in Luke chapter 9. So two chapters ago, he sent out the 12. And now he's sending out everybody else. Two chapters ago in Luke 1. Thank you. One, Luke 9 is big, so it feels like two chapters. One chapter ago. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's just, I mean, come on. He sends out the 12, feeding the 5,000, transfiguration. It's a big, it's a big chapter. having two pastors We disagree. Can't have me speak in heresy about the number nine. You may be smart, but you can't do math. <laughs> yeah. I was told there would be no math. Oh, is that a problem for anybody? Um, so, in Luke 9, Jesus sent out the 12, the leaders, right? So that's like, hey, pastors, leadership team, you guys, you go out and do this stuff, Okay. And then now, here we are, one chapter later, approximately, and he's sending out who? Everybody else. The rest. Remember Gillingham's Island? At the, at the first couple seasons, they would say, and the rest, instead of the professor and Marianne. They didn't deserve to be named. They were just, and the rest. So this, and here, no one cares about that but me. In, in here, Jesus is sending out, and the rest. He sent out the 12, and now it's, and the rest. Okay? So that is who? You guys. All of you. Us. All of us. Okay, he sent out all of us, everybody else. Now, this is right after the transfiguration. So, like, people don't even know 100% for sure that Jesus is God yet. They're following him anyway. Whether or not we can even call them Christians at this time is debatable, which is very interesting to me because he sends them out anyway to proclaim the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, and to do all this stuff. Very interesting. Jesus is a lot less controlling than pastors tend to be. 
when it comes to who do you send out? Who do you allow to proclaim the gospel? You, you have to graduate like evangelism 101, 201, and 901, and like all this stuff. And Jesus is like, hey, how about you go? And that was all he said. Now, they had been following around, okay? They knew he knew the scripture. They knew he was a prophet. They were hoping, I think, he was the Messiah. Some of them were probably pretty sure, but nobody had said it yet, okay? Um, but Jesus just sends them out. Go. They didn't have degrees. Most of them couldn't read. Send them out. All of them. And the rest, okay? So these were just the normal folks. These were the rest of the church. And he sends them out into strange places. Not quite by themselves, but alone compared to being with a whole bunch of people and Jesus. You sort of learn to rely on Jesus when you're hanging out with him, right? And that's why he kicks them out of the nest. He kicked the 12 out first. Go. You need to learn to do this without me right next to you. And back, by the way, that's how you disciple people. You let them watch you for a while. You train them for a while. And then you send them out and let them try it. Let them come back. Then you can dialogue a little bit, which is what he does with the 12. How'd it go? How'd it go? Even the demons submitted to us. It was amazing. You know, this, this is great stuff, Jesus. We love it. Um, and then the 72 are probably like, maybe, maybe we could get in on some of that. Or maybe they were like, I really hope he doesn't make me go. I don't know. Either way, Jesus says, all right, go. And he doesn't really accept resignations um, at this point, which is interesting. And so he takes the rest and he sends them out. It's time for them to get kicked out of the nest. You know the analogy, right? Sometimes birds who aren't willing to jump out and fly for themselves, mama bird will literally go and kick them out of the nest. And if they start flying, great. You're officially a bird now. And if they don't start flying, that was too bad but it was time for them to start to fly or else. Or else they wouldn't ever get strong enough wings to be able to fly is the reason. They're not just jerks. Well, it's Thursday. Time to go, you know. Um, but that's birds. Uh, Jesus, operates very, Jesus operates similarly. He wasn't going to kill the people who weren't willing to go, but he is saying, go. I don't care how scared you are, go. And he gets into that later. Um, I want you to notice, too, that he sends out the 12 to Jewish towns, towns that were 100% Jewish. So you have a smaller group of people, only 12, sent to a smaller field of people, Jews only, okay? And they were sent out two by two, so that's a total of six towns that the 12 went to. Now here's the 72, also sent out two by two. That's 36 towns, six times as much ministry. And because of the geography of where they're at, they're moving between Samaria and Jerusalem. There's a lot of Gentiles there. There's a lot of Samaritans there. There's a lot of non-Jews in this area. And that comes up big time in a little bit when he says, eat whatever's put in front of you. And a little later he says again, eat whatever's put in front of you. I mean whatever. Because we're talking about Samaritans and Gentiles who don't keep kosher. Okay, we'll get to that later. He can also cure seizures too. He can cure seizures for sure. Praise Jesus. That's good. Yes, he does do that. And he will do that. Amen? Okay, so this is an expansion of the ministry of Jesus, an expansion of the revival. It's six times as many places, and it's um, to a wider group of people. He's not just going to the Jews now. Um, he's going to the Samaritans and the other people in between. A lot of the towns were like half and half. Right? And that's where he's going to now. Okay, so the Lord then appointed 72, and he sent them ahead of him two by two. Why do you think he sent them out two by two? Security, 
yeah, I mean, there, there's something to that for sure. Yeah. Two. Yeah, I mean, two two heads is better than one, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. Ten thousand, more than two thousand. Ten thousand, right? Interesting. Uh, ever wondered why that is? It's God's math, but I think it's more than that. And here. Yeah, agreed. You're accountable to somebody. Yeah, a relational component, you're accountable to somebody. I think the relationship component is probably the key because God himself is a relationship. Father, Son, Spirit. Okay, so that's who God is. God is a relationship of three, okay, with each other. And that's how he created us in his image. We're supposed to be in relationship. What's the first thing that God says about mankind after he creates Adam? It is not good for man to be alone. This is before sin, before the fall. The first thing God says after he creates him, other than it is good, he was good, he was great. But he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So we're not meant to be alone. We're not meant to do life alone. We're not meant to do ministry alone. And so Jesus sends them out in relationship, two by two. Hopefully they got somebody that they sort of got along with, you know. Um, if they didn't, that, that would have been interesting. And hopefully they you know, figured it out on the way because sometimes, you know, two personalities can work perfectly together and sometimes not as much. And sometimes they work perfectly for a while and then have problems. Like remember Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas was his mentor. Okay. Most likely. And they go, they get sent out together from Antioch. They're planting churches and doing stuff. And eventually they get into such a disagreement that they have to separate and go to different places. Now, by the way, I don't read that story in Acts as, we hate you, and we're going to leave and go like bitterly proclaim the gospel now. Like, I think they just decided this isn't working. I, I don't think we're going to work. Maybe we should separate. Paul went with Silas. Barnabas went with somebody else. Guess what? Now you got two groups. So it wasn't that terrible of a thing. Um, and Paul reconciled later with Mark, who was Barnabas's cousin, which was the problem because Mark had ditched them at some point because he couldn't hack it probably. And... Paul was like, I'm not taking this guy back. And Barnabas was like, come on, he's awesome. You know, forgive him. Paul's like, forget it, man. He ain't on my team. You know, I don't do no scrubs. Get this. No, I can't handle this person being here because he's just going to abandon us again. I, that, was, that, was the, that was the conflict. Okay. And Paul reconciles with Mark because at one point they're in prison together. And Paul says, my brother Mark is here and he gives me such great comfort. So they got back together, which was happy. Also, by the way, when Mark left, he went to prison to visit Peter, who dictated the Gospel of Mark. And so Mark wasn't lazy during that time. He wrote a Gospel that is sort of awesome, if you've ever read it. I recommend it if you haven't read it, or if you have. The great thing about Mark is you can read it in like two hours. Bam, one shot, you can read through the whole Gospel, which gives you a really cool view of things versus like a verse here and there. Okay, that's tangent number seven. So Jesus sent out, Jesus sent them out two by two. They're in relationship. That's good. They, two heads are better than one. They can help each other out. If one of them's a little down, which happens in life, the other one can be like, man, it's all right. We're, we're going we're gonna to do it. It's going to be okay. Things are going well. We're going to be fine. In the Noah story, yeah. In the Noah story, they did. Yep. Um, okay. Next. Send them out two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. 
What do you think is the significance of that? That's exactly what I've written. Did you see in my notes? <laughs> They're preparing the way for the Lord. Literally, like John the Baptist had just done in the grand scheme beforehand. He is sending them out in the same way to prepare the way for the Lord. Sending them out two by two um, to everywhere that he planned on already he planned on going. And so let's think about this. God sends us, right? We're all sent ones. We're all missionaries in whatever context we're in. God is all, has sent all of us. And everywhere he sends us is somewhere that he himself is about to go. Isn't that? Yeah, we're the warm-up band. We, we maybe break up the ground a little bit so, that, so he can plant something. But everywhere he sends us, our, our job is a place we've been sent. School is a place we've been sent. Our family is a place we've been sent. This church is a place we've been sent. Other places that we are part of are places that God has sent us. And everywhere he sends us is somewhere that he himself is about to go. So preparing the way isn't like a theoretical thing. It's a promise. He will follow you everywhere you go. In whatever situation you go to, God is coming into that situation. And we don't always know how quickly he is coming into that situation, but we know that he is because he sends us somewhere that he himself is about to go. <laughs> Usually he's already prepared it. He's already been there preparing it. And obviously, God is everywhere at once. That's not what we're talking about. Um, but everywhere he sends us is a place where he is going to come. He's always following you wherever you go. He's always got your back. He doesn't send you into a situation and he's like, good luck. Let me know how this test worked out for you. You know, he sends you somewhere because he is on his way. It's on the itinerary. Jesus is like, I'm sending you to the places that I am going to for sure already. And you're just going there early to set some stuff up for me. Okay, and that's our job. That's our life is we set stuff up for God. The person we interact with at work, the relationships we have, the clients we talk to, the customers we talk to, every interaction we have with another human is us preparing the way for the Lord in their life in that day. And so everything we do is not random stuff. It's so easy as a Christian to just live your life or to even let life happen to you. And to just go through the day. But that's not who we are. That's not what we're called to be. We have been sent. Jesus has said, go. And now everywhere we go, every person we come in contact with is someone that he wants to prepare. And he wants us to do that. He is coming into that person's life. That customer on the phone who's super annoying. That house that you're dropping off the wood flooring to. All these places. God is preparing the way in their lives. And he's called you to be the one to do that, which is a little bit like, that's like a responsibility. That's like a serious thing, right? And don't let, so don't let that freak you out. When I was younger, especially in high school and college, like the thought of that was like, that's a lot of weight. That's like a lot of pressure, you know, which it sort of is. <laughs> and he gets into that in a second too. But, but it's real and God's going to be there. God's going to follow you. God's going to make it happen. But he needs us to do that. Yeah. Doesn't that change your I mean, as I'm hearing this, it's kind of a paradigm shift for me. I always want to look at my encounters and go, I didn't see any fruit. It didn't seem to happen. It changes me to go, oh, I'm the one behind the till, you know, getting the ground ready. I don't have to be looking for results. I just yes. have to do. So we just bring the fruits of the Spirit. We bring the gifts yep. of the Spirit into the situation. And then we get the joy of coming back to help with the harvest. <coughs> Much on seeing something there. Yes. 
That's not what even looks It's hard not to. So it kind of, yep. kind of releases us with a different attitude to go. Yes. Just keep loving on everyone around you. Just keep sharing the joy of the Lord. Yep. Just keep shining. Just keep going. That's what gets the ground all ready. And yep. everything else is the Lord. Totally. Paul says, one waters, another, or one plants, another waters. God gives the growth. Right. And it was uh, an issue with Paul and Apollos. People were arguing over who was better because one had won a few more souls in this town than the other. And Paul's like, shut up. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. One planted, another watered. We're all called to do different things. And sometimes we're in one role here and another role there. Sometimes we specialize in planting or we specialize in bringing in the harvest or whatever it is. But either way, we all do what we're called to do. God gives the growth. So it's not on us either way. And, and, and I think that's true. Sometimes we can be too harsh on ourselves and be like, uh, I've been praying for this person or I've been doing whatever for so long and there's no fruit, God, there's no fruit, God. Should I just stop? Is this just not worth it, you know? And God's like, I've sent you. I'm on my way. Maybe you just don't get to be the one to see it. And that's, that sucks. It, 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 to put in a lot of work and to not be the one to see it is hard. And I, that's been me most of my ministry is I was the one who was plowing the ground full of rocks and planting. And then by the time anything would start to grow, I would be, I was moved on to the next thing. And like, I'm, I guess I hope that's still growing, you know, but I, I didn't get to see it. And that's tough. So, I mean, I relate to that. Steve. I can't wait to tell people that, that you, when you're leaving off here, if you give it to Sheriff Mullen and say, Hey, you know, you can, God's going to show up. God's, that's why, that's why we're talking today, because God's planning to show up for you. So yeah. That, well, I mean, when you start looking for anything, you'll find it, right? So yes. I'm a big fan of building expectations for people, because most people have no expectations, especially when it comes to God, right? And so the, to, to literally promise them, God is going to show up in your life in some way. They might not believe you, but they're not going to forget it. And so then when God does in a way that they would normally disregard as, oh, that was just chance, or that was just this, or that was just that, when they see it, your words are going to come back to their head. Was this, was this God showing up? Wait a second. You know. I had a little revelation the other day that you, that you will find whatever you're looking for. So you go in a situation and you find, if you look if you down, look for the negative, oh, yeah, you'll find a problem. If you're looking for it, but whatever you're looking for, you kind of find. And uh, yeah, that's good. And if they're looking for it, yeah, I'm so glad you shared this. So it's good. Sorry. No, that's a good word. That's a good word. How, how we start and our attitude and our mindset is so important. If we're expecting the other shoe to drop, the other shoe is probably going to drop. If we are expecting good, which is what the Bible says we should do, expect good, expect God to come through. Sure, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes we get persecuted. Sometimes bad things happen. This is this fallen world. But it doesn't matter. Still don't expect that. Expect the good. It's about a mindset. And I, I, that's what I would love to leave you with, if nothing, else, if nothing else this morning, this mindset that you have been sent. Jesus has said, go. And everywhere you go, he is coming. Every person you talk to today is purposeful in the scheme of God. It doesn't mean that you are responsible to save everyone you ever meet. It doesn't mean you have to start every conversation with, would you like physical healing? You know, like, go with the Holy Spirit. But in your head, I want you to think about it that way, that I have been sent. This is what I'm doing. Um, everywhere he himself was about to go, he's got your back. You obey, you follow, he will show up. 
sometimes you'll get to see it even. <laughs> but sometimes when you do see it, realize this might not be me. This might have been the 12 other people who have been sent in their life, and I got to be the one who got to see it happen, who saw a spark, who saw them wake up a little bit, or they got saved, or they got healed, or they came back to the Lord, whatever it is. There's, there's a whole line of people in heaven who all get credit for that along with us, right? Because, again, some plants some more. Any other thoughts on that? Yes. You, you deserve some kind of credit. Your, your medals. No matter what happens, you don't know who planned it. You don't know what's going on. You know, yep. Unless you are witnessing to a newborn babe and you're the first one. <laughs> and they might not get it. And they might not. If they're a newborn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We all have a place in the body. Exactly, and it brings humility, and it shows, again, that two-by-two two point that we're together. This is in relationship. We're doing this together for the Lord and with the Lord. That's part of the relationship as well. All right, so we made it through one verse. We are trucking. All right, verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. What does that mean? Anybody? The harvest is plentiful. You probably know. Yeah. They're, they're there for the taking. The kingdom of God needs to be expanded, and it's less hard than we might think sometimes. The fields are white for harvest. It's the, people are ready. So many more people we come in contact with are more ready than we think they are. Sometimes, it's some, some of the training I had, you know, in, in college and stuff when, in regards to evangelism was mostly about how to fight <laughs> and how to, like, stick up for yourself and the gospel and prove that it's true and, and all this kind of stuff, you know. And, and, and there are certain people you come in contact with that, yes, that's what they're like. They are hard ground. It is really hard and all that kind of stuff. But there are a whole lot of people who are ready and just nobody's talking to them. Nobody's befriending them. Nobody's going over to their house and staying there and eating food with them and healing the sick in that place and all the things that Jesus gets to later about how we go about doing this in our daily life. Um, and that's sad. The, the fields are white for harvest, and um, there's people that need to come into the kingdom, need to come into greater relationship, greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the next line is, but the workers are few. Like, that's kind of a downer. This is a weird pep talk so far, Right? The workers are few. Like, there's not enough people. Like, why? Why do you think the workers are so few? People maybe are timid. They're, they're timid. They're afraid. They're afraid uh -huh. of rejection. I mean, all the above. Yeah. Kind of. I think that's pretty much it in a nutshell. We are all sent, but not all of us answered the call to go if that makes sense. And by go, I don't mean go to another country. You know, Chris and Kathy are leaving for Greece today for a month, like pretty last minute, to do mission work there. Um, Jesse, who shared last week, is already on his way to Central Asia. Jacob, who shared two weeks ago, is back up at the reservation, okay? So they have been sent, they went somewhere else. And we're all called to do that, I think, once in a while in our lives. Some people are called to do it for long periods of time. Um, but we're all sent in whatever context we're in even if we're sent to our own house, because that's our primary responsibility right now. 
as a stay-at-home dad, I had to remember that, that I was still being productive in my life and in my faith because my ministry to my kids was very important, even though I often didn't see another human during the day, except maybe a Japanese person who I literally couldn't interact with because I didn't know Japanese. Um, and so the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. I think there aren't enough people willing to say yes to the call to bring in the harvest. There aren't quite enough required. Um, Sure. And the mentorship, discipleship, yep. relationship, all aspects of training others. For sure. To be ready to go out to the harvest is super important. That's really important, and that's one of the primary roles of a pastor. One of the primary roles of leadership in the church is to train people so that we can do what it is we're already called to do better, so that we can not be afraid to go share a testimony with somebody or something like that. Steve. Paul, you. Sometimes I think, you know, uh, Too polite. like if, if the voice Bye, guys. might, see guys, the voice that might be Satan, <coughs> I think that he says, don't do it, don't witness as much, at least to me. It's not like he's saying, no, don't do it, don't do it. He's saying, oh, no, um, it's probably a good thing, but you're too big of a dirtball to do it. So you wait till you're perfect. <coughs> exactly. Because uh-huh. if you said, no, you shouldn't do it, then I could take it like a challenge and say, oh, yeah, you're the devil. Yeah. Well, of course you don't want me to do it, so maybe I'll do it. Instead, he kind of reasons with myself and says, yes. eh, you're, you're slipping and failing, you know, eh, that's for someone better. The devil is annoyingly reasonable. <laughs> He's annoyingly reasonable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets us to accept enough stuff that we're just like, I guess. Yes, but uh, then I just think you just in verse 4, that Jesus gets at this, that exact thing in verse 4. That's what he's talking about. So we'll get there in one sec. Paul. This is an incredible sentence because the first statement is about as positive a scripture as we can read. The harvest is plentiful. That's very, very encouraging. Uh-huh. That's encouraging to me. So there's never been a time in 2,000 years where the harvest hasn't been plentiful. Wherever we are, and then the second, without, with just a comma, it's very discouraging to think <laughs> of the, the few laborers there are. You think of people going like where Jesse's going or where Rebecca's going, there aren't many who are willing to do that. There aren't many who are willing to open up a conversation at Perkins. They're just few, there really are few. Even with their friends. Yes. Who would, who would consider themselves a laborer in the kingdom. Yeah. That's quite a sentence. It is. Yeah. It is. This is a very interesting pep talk. <laughs> it's a little strange. Um, did anybody? Yeah, Kansas. I don't know if you remember um, Sven. Uh-huh. Measure by like 
makes sense, but like, yep. I mean, and guys can you know, like Sven is like he's loving his guys' church and he's doing his canon over there. Um, uh huh. So I, I I send that to him just to encourage him and good. Yeah. I'm doing that, so. yeah. And then they need encouragement. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Um, okay, so we have this incredible sentence, and here's the next phrase. Therefore, pray. So this is the first thing he's told them to do. He's told them, I'm sending you and all this kind of stuff, and the first thing he tells them to do is therefore pray. That's priority one. The first thing is pray. We often leave prayer for <laughs> for the end, or, or we'll, we'll pray if we have time, or I wish I could actually do something. All I could do is pray, you know? This is the first thing we're supposed to do. Right away, therefore pray, therefore pray. This is big. Pray for more workers. Pray in general. Pray for the work you're about to do, the work your friends are about to do. Pray for one another. Pray for the other people in this church and the harvest that we are called to. I hope we're praying for one another. I pray for you guys every day pretty much by name. I pretty much just go through the list in my head. And that's not just because I'm your pastor. I was doing that last year before I was pastor here. Okay. And that doesn't make me awesome, by the way. I just, I just want to say, like, please pray for each other. Please pray for me and Paul and Sarah and Blake and Steph. Pray, pray for each other. Pray for everybody. Um, and as we are all praying for everybody, we all get elevated higher and higher because sometimes we're called to do stuff that's tougher. And so part of the two by two thing, I think is to do this, to pray, therefore pray, pray for each other and everything that we're doing and pray that there would be more workers for the harvest. And sometimes the answer to that prayer might be you. Maybe I need to say yes. Maybe I need to say yes more. Maybe I need to do more. Maybe God's bring me to the next level. Or maybe it's somebody in this church, pray for more workers. Maybe you're going to be a harvest worker recruiter. And maybe that'll be part of your job and part of your ministry is to help bring in more workers for the harvest. He says, therefore, pray earnestly. Does that sound like casual prayer? Does that sound like casual prayer to you? He says, pray earnestly. The, the root word there for earnestly means having deep personal need. Deep personal need. God, I need you to do this. We need you to send out workers into the harvest. We need you to be strong for us. We need you to come bless us. I need you to be with each and every one of these people this week. Deep personal need for one another and for the harvest in general. How many of us just know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? Just think about it. When it comes to praying for the harvest, how many of us can say that we pray earnestly, that we, have a, that we feel it, we feel a deep personal need? to see the harvest come in. Sometimes I have been there. Other times I have not. And when I used to not be, I would get down on my, I'm a, I'm a pretty lousy Christian. Because, <laughs> yeah, of course I want people to get saved, but I don't care enough to do anything about it. I don't care enough to pray much. Right? Um, I used to get down on myself. And then I realized, you know, all you got to do is ask, a pastor of mine encouraged me, all you got to do is just ask God to give you that desire back because don't you think he wants to don't you think he wants you to pray earnestly does he think he wants you to pray with a deep personal need well if he wants that then he's going to help give you that deep personal need you just need to ask 
And I don't know anybody who hasn't asked for this who hasn't gotten it. Not a single person that I've ever talked to. If you say, God, I need more of a deep personal need to pray for the harvest, to pray for your kingdom to be expanded through my life, through my friends' lives, through this church, in this city, this sounds a lot like a prayer for revival to me. A deep personal need to see that happen. If you say, God, I'm just not feeling that, really, which is probably why I don't pray much for it. So please, can you revive in me that deep personal need, that feeling that I am called to pray. Jesus has told me to pray, and I need to do it earnestly, and I'm not doing it quite earnestly enough. So I'm not going to condemn myself, but Lord, I am going to confess that I'm weak, and I need you to help me and give me more of that fire. Put some of that in here, because I don't have enough. If we ask God to do that, he will for sure do that, I promise you. Yeah. I think it's easy for us to think about one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I look at these individuals, and yes, and some of it is selfish, because they have a personal relationship. Well, you care about them. That's exactly. not really selfish. That's well, love. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But you know what I'm saying. It's, yeah. it, it's small thinking. Yeah. And, and we have the bigger thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I, and I think it's good to have both, yeah. to have that sure. personal thing, sure. but not to forget that there's a whole harvest out there. Yeah, and he can give it to you for one person. Yeah. For sure. And then that earnest prayer that you have, that means something. It does something. Or Jesus wouldn't have that be priority one. Therefore, pray earnestly. Because then the next thing he says in verse 3, and this is where we're going to end today, is, so he says, pray, and then verse 3, go. Go your way. Okay, pray for what's going to happen, and now go. Just go. Just do it. And later, next week, we'll, we'll pick up with verse 4, and when they talk about, you know, don't carry a money bag, knapsack, sandals, anything. You got no excuses. It doesn't matter how your training was. It doesn't matter what you think is wrong with you. It doesn't matter what disqualifications you think you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how prepared you are, what degrees you have, or how well you speak, like we learned with Moses. I can't even talk to people, God. Doesn't, fine, here's Aaron. I don't care. Go. Go. And I'll provide is what we find out it means later. But Jesus says here, verse 3, go your way. Go. We're called to go. We need to pray and go. And by the way, this is not one or the other. He's called us to pray and go both. Some people tend to focus on praying for the stuff, but they never go in the sense that they, they never do it themselves. Other people focus on doing, and they're like, yeah, maybe I'll pray on my way there or whatever. You know. But we need to do both. We need to be, do both all the time, constantly, concurrently with each other. We pray and we go. We pray and we go. We pray and we go. Um, I think we pray first, but we do both. And when we're talking about revival, you know, we're doing both. we got to pray and go. We don't stop praying, for sure. Even after it starts, even when it's in full string, we don't stop praying. But we start going now. We start doing the stuff now. We don't sit around and wait for God to show up, and then we start doing the stuff. The kingdom is now. The harvest is ready now. We get out there now. We go now. We're already sent, right? Um, and that's something I have to remind myself, because it's easy to sit around and wait for revival. You know, when, that, when that happens, that'll be awesome. That'll be fun. No, but we're called to go now. And the ground might be a little harder to plow now than it will be then. 
but we're still called to do it. We're still called to go. Um, and uh, then he ends with this, and I'm going to leave you with this because I'm super mean. <laughs> go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. There's no resolution for this. We're not going to find out that it's actually a happy statement next time. It's not. This is the weirdest pep talk of all time. This is not like Coach Phil Jackson giving you a great encouraging halftime speech. This is, go. I'm sending you out as lambs in the middle of wolves. <laughs> I mean, like, think, think the mental image here. Your lambs, two little lambs going out together, two by two, ba ba. Wolves everywhere who like to eat lambs. Two lambs against a bunch of wolves, no chance. Not a prayer, pun intended. No chance. What is that about? I, I think Jesus is just saying, you got to trust me. You can't do this on your own. You got no chance to do this on your own. You are dead if you think you can go up there and do this. You are done. Non-starter. They will eat you alive. You know that phrase? They will eat you alive. I would guess that phrase comes from here, at least in part. I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. They're going to eat you alive. So you got to rely on me for everything. I am your strength. I am your protection. I am your provision. I am everything you need. But you got to go. Even though there's the wolves, <laughs> you still go. It's a weird pep talk. Super strange. So we'll, we'll finish the super strange pep talk next week. But I want you to think about that word go. And here's, here's what I'd love for you to do this week. Every time you get in your car, most of us drive, but if you get in your car or bike or bus or whatever you do, on your way to work or school, I want you to picture Jesus saying to you, go. And to think of yourself for the rest of that day as I've been sent. Jesus told me to go, and I am going with that mindset of, I am going to prepare the way in these different people's lives. He has sent me. I want you to picture Jesus saying go. You could even make this a habit. It would be an awesome habit. Every time you get in the car on the way to work, Jesus says go. And you start going and maybe you start praying on the way for your day. Pray that God would open those doors, that he would give you the words to say, that you wouldn't forget halfway through that you're actually a sent one and just start doing life and waiting for the break. You know, it's easy to do that. Um, because we're lazy and we're tired and we're human and that's not our fault. But Jesus is like, I don't care about all that stuff. You're still going and there's wolves. So if you're lazy, you might get it, you might get at. But let's try to think of ourselves as sent ones and go throughout this week. And then we'll maybe share next week. Maybe God will give us some stories next week about how maybe our mindsets changed a little bit. Or maybe we had an encounter that we'd like to talk about or share because it didn't go that well and we want advice or because it went really well and we're surprised or because it went well and we're not surprised because that always happens because that's awesome because God is cool. So let's come back together next week, share and finish. I don't know if we'll finish this, but get the next three verses done anyway. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's pray. I know we're a couple minutes over, so apologize for that. Lord, we thank you that you have sent us. We thank you that the field is ready for harvest, that there's so much of it, and that we get to be the workers. We get to be one of the 72. We're and the rest, and we get to go out. We are significant. We might not be one of the 12, but we're significant because we have been sent by God himself. Help us to remember that you said go, 
and you didn't wait for a response, you just said go. You expect us to do it. He didn't say, can I have a show of hands of who accepts? He just said, no, 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 you all go. Help us to remember that. Help us to realize that. Help us to see ourselves as preparing the way for the Lord everywhere we go, every single person we come in contact with. We are somehow, in some way, preparing the way for more of you in their life, for you to encourage them more, for you to help them more to want to do their homework better, for you to help them want to share their toys, for you to come into their life and bring comfort where there hasn't been enough comfort before, for you to come into their lives and show them that God cares that you can have love, that you can have support. Whatever it is that we need to prepare them for, I pray that you would help us to do that. We know we do it in your strength and not ours because we don't have a clue. And so we ask you to help us and protect us from those wolves. We trust you to do that. We got no chance on our own, but you can. Wolves are nothing to you, our great shepherd. I ask you to bring us all back together safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen.